awesome greeting card More like a gas tank running dry I know that times get rough Forget about it, I've said enough As sons and daughters we will rise See the look of love in our Father's Well, we've been talking about who's in our net. You know, this may sound like a weird deal, but, you know, we're talking about the, the church of more is, is we've learned to fish for men with a net and not with a hook. And so we just, we just pull this net, and whatever God brings into us, that's what we feel we have a charge to uh, pastor, to love, to uh, encourage, and to support. And so we have all different kinds of people in our church. And I think all churches do, but... For some reason, we just seem to have a whole lot of different kind of folks here. And so what I would like us to do before we get started is I'd like you to hold hands with someone next to you. And, um, oh, don't be shy. I want you to hold hands with someone next to you. And then I'm, I'm going to pray. Um, I'm going to pray over us. And God, I just want to say thank you for this body. I thank you, God, that there's all kinds of people here. You know, Lord, some of us are one color and some another. And some of us speak one language and some another, God. You've raised us in all kinds of homes. Some of us were raised, you know, in, in good homes. Some of us were raised in, in not-so-good homes. Some people didn't even really have a home. God, some of us have been to jail and some of us have been to prison. Some of us have never been even close. And God, you've brought us all together, this tapestry of humanity. You've brought us into this building, and you've drawn us all into this net, God. And you say we're all intended to be in this together. And so, Lord, we just want to celebrate one another. We want to love one another. We want to say that we thank you, God, that uh, we look like this city looks. And, Lord, we represent this city. And, God, with that being said, we just ask that you would empower every single person that represents a people group. And, and just put a fire in their heart to carry the love of Jesus back into that group. God, that we may represent you in this city the way that you want to be represented, not as judgmental and mean and cruel and exclusive, but as a God that's come out of heaven to seek us and save us wherever we are, that you want to love us just as we are and bring us to where you are. And I thank you for that, God, and I thank you that this church has laid their hearts out before you and ask you, God, to do a work in us. And we just pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, we're going to hear, we've been hearing from different people that are in our church, and we heard from Charlie Rowe the first week, we heard from Stephanie Hansen, very different people, just different walks, completely different testimonies. And today you're going to hear another different testimony. Um, and this is from one of our very own, Frankie Garcia. So Frankie, come on up, and um, yeah, y'all welcome him. Ask Frankie to come and share a piece of his story. And so uh, let me pray over you, Frankie. God, I thank you for this man of God, and I just pray over him now, Lord, that these words would be your words. I ask God that you would just be in his heart. Let him speak from that place. God, I thank you for him. I thank you for the gifting you put on him. And I ask now, God, that these words would just bring freedom, bring encouragement. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Well, good morning, everyone. As he said, uh, my name's Frankie Garcia, and I think I started attending here probably May of last year. And, uh, you know, you can't have a, a testimony without a test. And in uh, Revelation, it says we overcame him, the enemy, by the blood of the Lamb. And by what else? The word of our testimony. So I pray that this encourages you, gives you hope, inspires you. If you're going through something similar, maybe you have to let you know that our God is faithful, that he's good, and that he still has a plan for your life. And so just to tell you a little bit about my history and background, I was raised, uh, born and raised just down the road from here in Hereford, Texas. And I know some of you are thinking, has anything good ever come out of Hereford? Well, we're working on that, so don't give up. And uh, raised in a large family, as, as, as most Hispanics are, a family of nine. So I have eight older sisters, and uh, you guessed it, I spoiled all of them. No, they, they spoiled me, and uh, they're, they're a good group of, of girls and, and uh, love them to pieces. But raised in a large Catholic family, and, but it was about 13 years old when I uh, ended up hearing the gospel and giving my heart to the Lord so I got saved at an early age, and it wasn't long after that that I got filled with the Spirit and started attending the church much like more. And you know, if you've had that experience of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, your life is radically changed. Even as a young teenager, it changed my life. And it just gave me a hunger and an appetite for the things of the Lord. And I pursued those things with everything in me passionately. And it wasn't long after that that I started to sense a call of some sort on my life. And I remember going to see my pastor at that time and letting him know what was on my heart. And he said, I, I think the Lord's working a pastor's heart in you. And that just hit me like a ton of bricks. You know, a pastor, what do you do to become a pastor? How do you prepare for that? But I couldn't deny the call that it was there. Well, it was about 16 years old and I was in youth group at church and uh, I saw this girl that she was, she was four and a half years older than me. She was leaving youth and I was coming up into youth and that would be the woman I would one day marry. And so at 19, I married uh, my wife at that time, Tanya. And uh, so we started this journey and uh, had no idea what we were doing. You know, we thought we were in love. And, and so we, we started this long journey called marriage. And it wasn't long after that that I decided, well, if I'm going to be a pastor and be in ministry, I better get some training, some schooling. So we moved to Tulsa and I went on to Bible school, graduated from that and I thought once I graduated, I was going to get all these calls and people were going to want me to come be their pastor and doors were going to fling open. Well, it was like crickets, just no calls, no nothing, no invitations. And so all we knew to do was move back to Hereford and got involved in our home church. And so for the next eight years, just served as an associate pastor role there, helping, doing whatever we could to help with the pastor, his vision, with the direction of the church and just set our hand to whatever the Lord put in front of us. And so we gained a lot of great experience doing that. And then in 1996, we had the opportunity to plant a church in Denton, Texas. How many of y'all know where Denton is? They're in the Denton-Fort Worth Metroplex. And once again, we got a word from the Lord that we were supposed to plant a church. Don't ask me if we knew what we were doing because we did not. We just had a word from the Lord and we were crazy enough to go and try to make it happen. Well, we did that, launched it, and by that time we had our three kids. They were all young, and we picked them up, moved them with us. And so um, we started this church plant, and it was going well. It was the, probably the, the, the most difficult challenge that I had faced up to that point. 
And then it started to reveal <clears throat> some cracks that were in my foundation, one of them being an identity crisis that I had no idea that I even had. In fact, the pastorate became my identity. It became my, my uh, what value it, I had in my life. It, it defined me. Well, whenever you start allowing something like ministry to become your identity, it sets forth this performance life where you feel like you've got to perform in order to gain acceptance and to be approved of by the people that you serve. And what a mess that creates. And so about at the 10-year mark, we were doing good. We were thriving. The church was growing. It came to light that uh, I was involved with the church secretary. And what a devastation that that was. And I remember when I had to make that call and, and tell my wife. But she forgave me. She chose to go through a restoration with me. And we went through a two-year restoration. Of course, lost the church. And I'll never forget what God did in those two years. We were at Gateway Church in South Lake, and we were serving there, just looking for a place to heal, which is the one reason I showed up at Moore last year. We're just looking for a place to heal. And I'm so grateful for men like Pastor Darrell and Pastor Lindell. I heard someone say that a friend is someone who walks in when somebody else or everybody else walks out. And that man walked into my life, and I'll never forget the first Sunday I was here, and after church came up and got prayer and asked him to pray for me. He just looked at me. He goes, I, I liked him. He says, I'd like to hear your story. I'd like to meet with you. Little did I know that he would not only become my pastor, but my friend. And so I appreciate that about him. And so here, here we are trying to realize what happened. And I remember at that time, I came back to Hereford for about two weeks I got with the pastor that had married my wife and I, and I said, how, how did I get here? What happened? You know, you, you think you'd never fall into a pit like that, and there I was in the darkest point of my life. And he said, you're saved. You're a Christian. He says, but you've been living out of the old man. You know, Paul addressed that in Colossians 3 and Ephesians 4, and then in Romans 13, he, he addressed that, that we're to put off the old man in regards to its lust and desires and put on the new man. In fact, it says in James chapter 1, he said, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Literally, that translation is, every man is tempted when he's drawn away of the diseased condition of the old soul. Do you know your old soul bids you to come back to the grip of sin that it had on you before? And you know what it says about sin? Sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and charge you more than you want to pay. Is that not right? And so here I, we were getting help, and I remember standing before a counselor that was working with us at that time after this moral failure, and he asked me, he says, tell me who Frankie Garcia is. And I told him, he says, no, don't tell me what you do. Tell me who you are. And so I told him again, at least who I thought I was, he goes, you're not hearing me. I'm not interested in what you do. Who are you? By that time, I was mad. I was angry. And I said, well, apparently I have no idea. Why don't you tell me? 
And he says, you're a son. And he's your heavenly father. And church, something happened in me that set me free. And for the first time, been in ministry, pastor in 10 years, associate eight years, graduated from Bible school, and I still had no idea who I was until that day when the Lord said, you're my son, and you don't have to perform. You don't have to do anything. I love you just like you are. So at Gateway, doors open after two-year restoration, started helping couples that experienced infidelity, and for three years, ran them through like cattle in the church that experienced infidelity. And you know what infidelity is? It's the keeping of secrets. See, I was keeping secrets. I was living another life. I was keeping things in the dark because I didn't have anybody to talk to. I wasn't being transparent. I wasn't being open. And the enemy whispers in your ear and he tells you, you don't need to tell anybody about that. You and I can handle that. You'll overcome that. Let's just do it. Keep it to yourself. What a lie. While his mission is to kill, steal, and destroy, his main tool is deception. And I was deceived to think I could do it on my own. Well, I tell you what, I heard this on a Facebook page, if you can believe it. It says that the devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. God knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. And so while the enemy kept trying to tell me what I was according to my failure, the Lord said, no, that's not who you are. That's who you were. And in the old man, that's exactly who I am. But in the new man, I'm a new creation just like you are. Well, after that, we went through in November of 2013, got another opportunity to pastor. And this time it was a campus for Trinity Fellowship. Trinity Fellowship, many of you are aware of who that is and where that is. Big church here in, the, in, in Amarillo, and they had seven campuses, one being in Decatur. Well, I'm in Denton, 30 miles away, so that door opened. We came through it, and my wife and I are pastoring again, and I tell you, it was, it was a God thing. We, we were so excited, so thrilled, and the Lord was blessing it, and God was doing some amazing things. And we saw the Lord grow that church, and it seemed like we were just firing on all cylinders, had a great staff that we had hired. They were fantastic, doing a wonderful job. And once again, you take your foot off the gas. And all of a sudden, you let your guard down. And compromise starts to sneak in. And you start allowing another secret. And then another secret. And pretty soon, you have some dark places in your life. Well, it wasn't long after that where it came to light that I had a, another moral failure. And while it was an infidelity, it was just as devastating. And this time, my wife was so hurt, so betrayed. My kids, the church, they were just all devastated. And as we started that process, it wasn't long after that that I moved to Amarillo because you just resigned everything and, you know, you, you, you had no choice but to find somewhere else to live. And so I did. I came here where my family was. And as we started the process to try to heal and start going through Care, the therapy and counseling, Trinity Fellowship was so gracious and sacrificed tremendously to get me the help that I needed. And so they invested in that, a year-long process. And it wasn't just a couple of months into that when my wife said,
I can't walk this journey with you. I'm going to divorce you. And so 34 years later, your marriage is over. And so, of course, lost the church, lost my marriage, lost my family. And so this last year has just been by far the darkest season of my life. But God, and one thing that I know about the Lord is it didn't come to stay. It came to pass. And so just this month, finished the year-long intensive therapy and counseling, which was amazing, 36 hours worth. And what the Lord showed me has been pretty awesome. But the best thing is that he's not done with me yet. And you know the word, the gifts and callings are without repentance. Once the Lord calls you, he opens doors that no man can shut and he closes doors that no man can open. And so Pastor Darrell's been gracious enough to help oversee that restoration now with he and Pastor Jimmy Witcher from Trinity and, and, the, and the, the overseers there. But I'm encouraged and excited to see what God has. And I want to leave you with a couple of scriptures. One of them is the Lord gave me Micah 6, 8. You know it. The first of the year, he says, this is what I require of you. Do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. You know what that says? That you're not always going to choose the easy way. It's going to be hard sometimes, but it's worth it. And then the second thing that he gave me comes out of Psalms 27. This is out of the Passion Translation. This is the promise that he gave me last summer that I want to share with you. It says, yet I totally trust you to rescue me one more time so that I can see once again how good you are while I'm still alive. Here's what I've learned through it all. Don't give up. Don't be impatient. Be entwined as one with the Lord. Be brave and courageous and never lose hope. Yes, keep on waiting for he will never disappoint you. Thank you for allowing me to share. Thank you, Frankie. Great testimony. Appreciate your transparency, your honesty, humility. Um, you know, when I asked him to do this, we knew it would be difficult. And uh, I think, though, that the difficulty of the testimony is part of the power of the restoration. Whenever you walk in humility, um, it sort of disarms the enemy. He's always accusing us, but when you bring it to light, it kind of disarms him. You know, there's a scripture that says, when your adversary accuses you and you're on your way to your judge, just, just to agree with your adversary before you get there. And I think that sometimes whenever we've had a falling, we've had a failure, we've had a whatever... Um, it's very cleansing instead of running from it or making excuses for it just to own it. And then when you own it, it doesn't define you, but you can get on top of it because you've brought it into the light. Nothing that's kept in darkness can ever be healed, so it has to be brought to light.
But you know, whenever I hear Frankie's testimony and, and I think about my own testimony, which is very similar to Frankie's, um, of course, I didn't lose my dear wife. She was awesome to stay with me through what I went through. Um, but you know, it, it makes me think about the power of bad decisions. <laughs> How you can make a lot of great decisions. You know, and I think about Frankie's life. It's like, this is a young man that was born again at 13 in the ministry at 16, going to Bible school, had his life planned out, really just didn't get too wayward or do anything wild, and it just made so many good decisions. Married this woman, 34 years, three kids, plants a church, pastors another. I mean, just so many great decisions that he made to build this life and to, to build it in such a great way and then just has one bad season and the enemy just destroys it all because he comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And what Frankie shared was so true. You know, things you keep in darkness, um, they don't want to stay in darkness. They want to come up and pull you down and humiliate you. And the enemy wants to stand there with his foot on your neck and say, look at this. This is your anointed. I know what that feels like. It doesn't feel good. But you know what? Even though in most churches and in a lot of places, uh, they would say that, you know, Frankie can be forgiven, but nobody's going to trust him again. He can give up his idea of ever being back in ministry again. I, I, don't, I don't believe that. I believe that even though this is his greatest failure, this is his greatest season of darkness, this is his most difficult time in his life, I think it's the greatest opportunity for him to become better equipped to do what God created him to do than ever before. God just has this way of doing those things. You know, some would say, you know, well, he sinned and he's suffering the consequences of his sin and he's just getting what he deserves. Maybe if he, maybe if he suffers in this long enough, he won't repeat it. <laughs> well, that's not the way the Lord is. You know, right now, Frankie probably feels like restoration's a million miles away. But I love it that he's in church. I love it that he's right here. I love it that he's becoming known. I love it that he wants to be my friend. I love it that he came here and he went to work. He humbled himself and he's just tried to rebuild a life, even though it's been the most difficult thing. He's right here in church. He's willing to come up here and talk about his failures before a lot of people that don't know him very well. Because one thing's in his heart. He wants to get better and he wants this thing gone once and for all. And I believe it's going to be. Because the Bible's loaded with these stories. My story is the same, but I'm telling you, we're in good company. There's a lot of people in the Bible that suffered through dark times, and a lot of them because they sinned. You know, you get Samson, Abraham, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, Peter, and even Jesus went through dark times. Jesus, Jesus of course, didn't sin, but he went through dark times, very difficult times. You know, bad choices and, and bad seasons don't have to become just bad in themselves. These seasons, these bad seasons and dark times, actually become very good times when we look at the result after we get through them. But it's hard in the midst of the dark times to think that you have a bright future. If you've ever been through a dark time, I don't know if y'all have, I have, but in the midst of it, you don't realize that your future can be bright. Sometimes in the middle of it, you think it's just all going to go up in flames. And sometimes a lot of things do. But you still have to hang on because, you see, God, he knows the end of the story, and he gets you all the way through because he has a good future in your plans. 
He's not going to give up on you. He doesn't, he doesn't give you a call in your heart to punish you. And no matter what you do or what you go through, these dark times, God can use them to equip you, to get you where you need to be. I mean, I have two up here on the board, Moses. I mean, we know Moses' story. He was a murderer. He was raised in Pharaoh's house, and, and he ended up coming out. He was prideful, and he was impulsive, and he was a little bit arrogant, and he thought he could take care of business, and he just went out, and he ended up killing a man. And so it sent him into this very dark place. He had to run for his life. And for 40 years, he's on the backside of the Midian Desert. He's not even close to his people. And there's no doubt in my mind that in the middle of that, in that dark time, that he thought, my, my time's done. People don't even know my name. They don't even know where I am. My, my ministry, my call, even though it was great, I know God put, me in, put it in my heart to be a deliverer of my people. I know that that is gone because I'm stuck out here in the middle of nowhere. He didn't know that God was using that season of isolation for him to burn some things out of him, to get rid of some pride, to get rid of that impulsiveness, to get rid of those things that needed to go. God didn't cause Moses to kill that man, but God certainly used that situation to help Moses become the man that he was supposed to be. You know, there's a lot of times we go through real difficult times like what I went through, like what Frankie's going through. God didn't cause this to happen. We made decisions that made this happen. But God uses it. He takes it and he turns it around and he uses it to refine us. I call it a baptism of fire, to refine us in fire. Because you know what refining does? It burns out the impurities. And there's certain things inside of our hearts that can only be burned out by suffering. Nobody wants to talk about suffering, okay? I realize that's not popular to talk about, but I can tell you this. It's a theme of Scripture that all through this Bible, great men and women of God suffered, and God used it to get them to the place where they needed to be. And some of you are suffering now. And you may not feel like your future's bright because you're in the midst of a bad time. Well, I'm here to tell you that God has other plans. I mean, I look at David's life, and I'm not going to talk about David's moral failures. We do that all the time. I'm going to talk about what happened at the beginning of David's life. When this, this young man was ordained by Samuel at 13, probably, and to be king, did he become king? No. He killed Goliath. Everybody's talking about how great he is. He thinks he's on a fast track to become great. And God says, you're not ready, David. You're not ready. You're ordained, you're called, you're gifted, you're just not ready. Like a lot of people, they're just not ready when they're called or gifted. And so David wasn't ready. And so what did God do? God placed him in Saul's court as a musician, and Saul was a madman. He was crazy, crazy with rage and jealousy. And he tried to kill David over and over again, throwing spears at him. I mean, Saul was a big, intimidating man. And he was throwing these spears. He was a trained warrior and throwing these spears. And David was dodging them. And David had a decision to make right in that time. Right then, he had a decision. Am I going to retaliate? Am I going to become like Saul? Am I going to fight fire with fire? Or am I going to submit to this and realize that God's got me here for a reason? And he suffered through that season. Some people think for, you know, 13, 15 years. A season when Saul was trying to kill him and, and uh, 
Saul was trying to kill him, and, and he had to run for his life. He had to live in caves. He had to live in a very dark time. You see, David didn't realize that all of that stuff was pre-king time. He didn't realize that it was all preparation to become the humble king, the king that had God's own heart because he wouldn't fight fire with fire. So many of us, we think that when we get in tough situations, we have to fight our way out of it. I just want to tell you that's not true. God has a purpose and a plan for all of it, and he wants to work, us through us, work it through us. Okay, here we go. You know, Robert Capon says this. Capon, I should say. You know, you don't have to be good. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be wonderful. You don't have to be anything. You just have to be dead. That's it. You see, the whole problem with the church is that the church does not want to die. I mean, really, no one wants to die. But that's the one qualification. That's what's outrageous. There can only be one requirement, and it's got to be so low, low enough to include all of us, and it is. You just have to die. You know, that's the thing about going through dark times and going through suffering times. Things have to die. When you go through this stuff, a lot of times as we go through it, what God's doing is he's killing something inside of us. I know in my own case, in my own life, my own testimony, that whenever we started the church, I, I had a lot of good intentions inside of me, but there was things inside of me that I didn't, I didn't even know were there, like Frankie was talking about too. There's things inside of us. And when you come into the ministry situation and you begin to see these, these flaws in yourself, you realize that God needs to do a work in you. I had selfish ambition in me. I wanted, you know, I wanted to advance. I wanted the thing to blow up. I wanted to be great at what I did. And you say, well, doesn't everybody? Well, I think everybody does, but I think it's a bad thing in ministry. In fact, James, the book of James tells us it is. I had pride in me. You know, we started that little church, and it grew real rapidly, and I had pride in me, and I didn't realize that I had so much pride. And I definitely struggled with vanity. These are all ugly things. But they were inside of me, and they were all hidden. Just like Frankie said, there was all darkness. It was all hidden. It was inside of me. And then whenever I went through what I went through, and I fell, the Lord humbled me. But the roadway to humility is humiliation. And it hurt. It was terrible. I didn't want to die. I didn't want to be publicly killed. I didn't want to die in front of... But I needed to. The old man needed to die. The old man needed to die. He needed to go because I had things inside of me that needed to be purged out of me. And so God allowed this suffering in my life for this season so that I would come face to face with some ugly things that needed to be purged. And he did. The beautiful thing about dying as a Christian, dying to self, is that you get resurrected. And when you're resurrected, guess what? He doesn't resurrect you with the old stuff. And so I was resurrected. I came back. And you know what? I was different. I feel different. I don't have selfish ambition. I don't have foolish pride. I don't have any delusions of grandeur. I don't have any of that stuff anymore. It's all burned out of me. And sometimes God allows suffering to come into our life, those very dark days, just because things need to die. Jesus says it like this. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat 
falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. It doesn't do much. But if it dies, it produces much grain. That's what Jesus said. That's universally true, by the way. It's not just true for a few of us scoundrels. It's, it's true for all of you. There's just part of you that needs to die and needs to stay in the grave. Isn't it interesting that and he uses this analogy of a seed, and with a seed, God created the world, and he created ways, things to work all different kinds of ways, and he created a seed to be planted in the ground and buried before it could produce fruit. Isn't that funny that he would make seed like that, and then the creator of the universe would use this analogy to say, you're the same way. You've got to be put in the ground and buried and die before you're going to produce what God's created you to produce. The problem is nobody wants to die. We run for our lives. But you know, whenever you, something resurrects or whenever the seed dies and then it germinates and it comes up, it produces something completely different. It produces something that can produce more fruit. It can produce a life that God's created you to have if you don't keep trying to hold on to the old one. If you, if, you, if you don't just keep trying to hold on to something that should be dead. So many of you have been tough guys all your life, and it's just real hard for you not to make your way by being the tough guy. You know, that, that probably just needs to die. Some of you have always gotten your way because you're just angry, and you can get it so angry you can get your way. You know what? That stuff just needs to die. Some of you have been so seductive in your life, you've been so effective at seducing other people and getting your way, and sometimes those things need to die. And so God wants to bring deliverance, and many times he does it with a baptism of fire, with a refining fire. It's what he did with me. It's what he's doing with Frankie. You know, but it's so important not to push away people when you're going through these kinds of things. You know, the tendency to go through what Frankie's going through and what I went through is you want to push away from people. You want to isolate. You want to escape the suffering because whenever you're around people or you're in church... You just don't want to be around people that know your stuff. Because it's annoying. People are annoying. I don't know if you know that. People are annoying. <laughs> and it's better just to suffer alone. You know, me and God, we can go through this. It's, God's doing this work. And the truth is, God wants you to be in a group of people because even the annoyance is part of the process. There's a process that he wants to work us through. And this is a very important scripture here, and I just condensed it because I just wanted it to say just this point, that God's determined our pre-appointed times and the boundaries of our dwellings. This is so important because pre-appointed times is the word kairos. It's a word that means a time that God is, has predetermined that you're going to receive deliverance or salvation or healing. There's a time in God's mind when he knew that I would be restored. He knew that before I did, even when I was in my darkest days, I thought, this is never going to happen. I, mean, I remember arguing with God. It's like, God, I can't go back in ministry because I don't have the character. You know? I, 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 there's something wrong with me. I can't represent you up there. I'm not qualified. And God looks down and says, when were you ever qualified to... Re 
When is anybody qualified to stand up here and speak for God? When is anybody good enough to take this book and interpret it? No one. It's just proof that we don't understand grace. We don't understand that God only uses broken vessels. Because that's all he's got. So he resurrects us. And he knows the time of our healing. He knows the time of our restoration. He's got it on his timetable. Even when Peter, before Peter denied the Lord, he said, Peter, you're going to deny me. And whenever you come back to me, encourage your brothers. He already had the predetermined time, the Kairos moment, for Peter to be restored. Peter didn't know it. God did. And he does for all of us. But the next part of this verse is equally important because this is the part where we fall short. And he establishes the boundaries of our dwellings. So important. Two things here, boundaries and dwellings. Whenever you go through a dark time, God determines your boundaries. He determines where you need to be and who you need to be. I I love part of Frankie's testimony where he said, you know, I went to Bible school, and I thought everybody was going to call me, and I was going to be a pastor. And, you know, he probably had a lot of pride in him, and he was just like, oh, and all this zeal. And what did he have to do? He had to come all the way back to his hometown, to Hereford, and submit to the pastor that he was under and serve for eight years. Many times when we go through things where God wants to get, to get us ready to be who we've been created to be, he'll put us in a humble circumstance because he establishes your boundary. There's times that God even takes people and puts them in a church where a pastor can be mean and overbearing and a control freak, and you think, I just want to get out of here and run for my life, and God's put you in that place to teach you what David had to learn, that you have to have a a heart like God's and not retaliate. God has something to teach you, and he has to refine you. And many times, we don't want to be in the boundary that God wants to put us in because it's uncomfortable, so we run from it. You know what this tells me? This tells me that God has a predetermined place for my healing, and it's very important for me to be there. That I need to be in the right place at the right time with the right people. And if I just don't go to a church because I don't like the music or I don't like the preacher, the preacher seems like a jerk or an egomaniac, whatever, if God's put it in your heart to be there, you need to be there. Even if it's not enjoyable? Even if it's not enjoyable. Because sometimes God puts you in a place where you need to be refined. I don't know if you know this, but these are not entertainment centers. These are growth centers. I know that we've tried to make it entertaining, but it's really about your growth in the Lord. You growing up, becoming who God created you to be. And sometimes that's a little painful. He knows our boundaries. And the boundaries of our dwellings, it's important for you to be in the church that God tells you to be in. Some people have a little trouble with that. They say, well, I don't know where God wants me to go to church. Let me just say this. It's, in Romans eight sixteen. it says that his spirit bears witness with your spirit that you know you're a child of God. If his witness, and that bears witness just means testifies. It means he tells you 
God tells your spirit, his spirit, big S, little spirit, me, he tells me I'm his. I know. He doesn't want there to be any mystery. He doesn't want you to be going through life wondering if you're saved. That's not even in God's mind. Why am I saying this? Because if it's so important for that, for God to know and tell you, he will also tell you where you're supposed to be in church. Because it is essential that you're in the right place at the right time with the right people. Because God wants you to get where you're supposed to be going. So important. Because of 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 18. Paul says, you know, as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of one body being many, one body is also Christ. By one spirit, we've all been baptized into one body, Jews, Greeks, slaves, free. We've all been made to drink of the one spirit. In fact, the body is not one member, but many. Foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I'm not in the body. Should an ear say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not in the body. And then verse 18. The most important verse to me in this whole thing. But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body, just as he pleased. Well, I thought it was about my pleasure, God. I thought this was where I went to church because I like the music and I like the preacher and I have a friend. And God says, I want you to go to the church that I bear witness with your spirit to be in, and I want you to stay there until I accomplish the purpose in you that I've got you there for. Now, I've been a pastor for 20 years, and some people come in here, and they're here for a season, and I know it. And I feel like they get what they're supposed to get, and they're equipped, and they go on to do something else. That doesn't offend me. What offends me is when there's people that come in here, and I know in my spirit they're supposed to be pillars in this church, and whenever things get difficult or things get uncomfortable or they go through something, they split, and they're gone. You know what happens every time that happens? I've just started noticing Every time that happens, those people never go to church anywhere else. You know why? They don't belong anywhere else. They never seem to can fit in. The deal is people don't want to die. They don't want to go through difficult things. And God says you have to be a part of the body because it's essential that you're rightly fit together because God has a purpose. You, you're not the only one with a purpose. God has a purpose. And he's put each member in that body for a purpose. Now, here's the bombshell. You can't know your purpose outside the church. You can't know your designed, created purpose outside the church. Now, I know there's a lot of independent Christians out there, and they just sort of do their own thing. And they think they can find their purpose outside the church. How can a hand operate without an arm? How can a foot operate without a leg? Please tell me that. You can be the best foot in the world, and if you don't have a leg, you're not going anywhere. God did this. You know why? It's his plan that we dwell together in unity, that we dwell together, because it's annoying sometimes, because it's difficult. And maybe we're supposed to hit our knees instead of hitting the door. I'm not just speaking this about more. I'm speaking about all churches. There's way too much church shopping. You know, I went to Denver. I knew what church I would be going to before I went. How did I know that? I'd never stepped foot in it because God spoke it to my heart. And the first Sunday I was there, I was in that church. 
And I can tell you, we were there a year, and there was some annoying stuff. It was a megachurch. It drove me kind of nuts, some of the stuff they did. I was getting into some of their ministries. It drove me a little crazy. But I can tell you, I was at the right place at the right time because it was in that church that God spoke it to me whenever he began to restore me. He said, now is the time. He spoke a, t- a word to me, and I was standing in the doors of that church. And actually, I was, I was being a little bit annoyed by one of their pastors at that moment. I mean, I'm just telling you my heart. I knew it was a Kairos moment. I knew it. Because that was the beginning of the end of that stuff. I could feel it. And I'm telling you, this is how God works. So we just have to learn to trust God. You have to learn to trust God that whenever he draws in this net of church, whenever he draws in the people, that whoever's in that net, you see, that's the funny thing about fish. They're just swimming along, and all of a sudden this big dragnet just grabs them all, and they're all like, what's going on? And they're just... And they're all compelled to come in, like it says in the parable. They're compelled, you know, and think, oh, it's the Spirit of God. And you get on the shore, and then you look around, and you go, I'm in the net with these people? (laughs) I thought I would be in a different net. No, you're in this net. No need to run. Just find out why you're there, because it's God's love that's put you here. Every fish that gets caught in the net is sovereignly there by God. And so God's bringing you in because he wants to accomplish something inside of you. He wants to get you to the place of your, of your created purpose. And he does it through the church. He does it. He brings you to a place of humility by humbling you because he loves us so much. He loves us so much. He's just committed to see us through to the end. He doesn't want you to die with those things in your heart. He doesn't want you to live with that uncontrolled anger. He doesn't want you to to ruin your life because you can't control yourself sexually. He wants you to be his, and he wants to burn that stuff out of your heart. You know, it's it's a lesson that doesn't get taught very much anymore because so many people only want to hear about the good things. But I'll tell you what, this is a good thing. It's just not fun getting there. But I love to be healed. And I went through some awful stuff. Wendy and I both did. It was very difficult. But I'll tell you what, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I never want to go back. I never want to be like I was. I want to be changed. And sometimes the only way to be changed is just to push on through and let God do his work and pop out on the other side and say, wow, I thought I was dead and buried. But the seed germinated. And here we are. So isn't that a beautiful thing? I know some of you have already experienced that. You've been buried and you've, ger- you've been sprouted and you've been germinating and you realize what I'm saying is true. But some of you, some of you need to be, need to die. Some of you have things inside you that need to die. And some of you have died. Some of you right now are in that dark place and you don't realize that there's a bright future. But just because you've been buried doesn't mean you stay in darkness. It means that God's going to bring you through that darkness and into his marvelous light because that's what he does. He's awesome. And he's committed to your restoration 100%. So let's stand up. And ministry team, if you would, please come up.
Father, I just pray for us all this morning, God. I just pray that um, your perfect will would be established in this house, in every house, God, that's in this house today. I pray for your temples all over this building, the temples, the Holy Spirit temple. Cleanse these temples, God. Just go through, and if you see something that you don't like, just like you did in the first century, God, we ask that you would cleanse these temples, God. And we give you permission to use any means, God, that needs to be done because we don't want to go through life broken. We want to be delivered. We want to be healed. We want to be set free. And so, Lord, we're just giving you permission this morning to come into our heart and begin the process of purging us, God, from these things. I thank you for your people. I thank you, God, for your grace. And I thank you, Lord, that you're so committed to seeing us through, all the way through. And I ask, Lord, that you'd speak to us this morning. If there's some in here that need prayer, God, I ask that you would just draw them to the front. That your, your spirit would bear witness with their spirit that they need to come and ask for help, ask for prayer. God, if there's people here today that are sick, I, if this is their Kairos moment, just speak it to their heart. Let them have faith to come forward. And Lord, if there's there, those here that are oppressed, that are just so depressed and demonized, maybe they're overcome by addiction to any or all kinds of things. I just pray, Lord, that this will be their Kairos moment to be set free today. Lord, let us represent you in this city wherever we go this week. Let us carry your love, God, and, and your peace. And learn to love like you love, God. We thank you for that. We just pray in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Amen. So if you need prayer, please don't hesitate to come up and, and get prayer. If not, um, you have a blessed day, and thank you for coming.